You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's turn there now. Acts chapter 8 is where we're at today. We'll be starting in verse 26. You remember last week, uh, we were introduced in a way to a deacon named Philip. And I say in a way because actually in Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to him as uh, one of the first deacons. Uh, joining arms with Stephen. And in Acts chapter 7, we read about Stephen being raised up as an incredible minister of the Lord, a servant of the Lord, a man who had signs and wonders accompanying his ministry, a powerful evangelist, a man who could teach the word, and, uh, and also a man that was the first martyr of the church. So in Acts chapter 7, we, we really dug into the man Stephen, And then in Acts chapter 8, we get to dig into another deacon's life, uh, the man Philip. And how incredible again to note that, man, when we're faithful in the little things of being a servant, uh, you know, waiting on the tables and and doing the the yard work in a sister's house or, you know, uh, cleaning the toilets or, you know, pulling the weeds outside the church, whatever, the Lord sees that. And he says, man, you've been faithful in the little things. I'm going to entrust much into your care. And so we just see that a principle in scripture as we see Philip being entrusted with much. Because in Acts chapter 8, last week we read that the Lord took Philip north in Israel to the town called Samaria. And the Lord, you know, uh, validated the gospel through Philip with signs and wonders as revival took place in Samaria. And it was an incredible revival. Number one, because the Samaritans were a pagan, uh, a pagan group of people. They were a mixed breed of Gentiles and Jews. And because of that, the Jews hated them. They considered them half-breeds, you know, uh, and, and pagan worshipers. And they had lots of different gods and lots of different uh, of faiths. And we saw Jesus's heart in John chapter four for the Samaritans as he reached out to the Samaritan woman. And then, and then that whole town came to, to come around Jesus and they were blessed by Jesus. And then the revival happened here in Acts chapter eight. And so a pagan, a, a, a mixed breed Gentile group receiving the gospel. Uh, and then we see that a sorcerer was, uh, you know, came to know the Lord. He was a believer, the scripture says. And many of his followers who were involved in witchcraft uh, came to know Jesus. They believed and they were baptized. And then we also read last week that uh, Peter and John came up to uh, pray over them. That the, the town of Samaria, these believers, might receive uh, the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit might fall on them. So incredible revival happening in Samaria. And it says that there was great joy in that city. Verse eight. Well, why do I tell you that? Why do we really look at that? There was revival. Why don't we just move on, Rory? Let's do the part two of chapter eight. I tell you because verse 26 comes along. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So Philip is part of a revival. 
I don't know if you've ever been part of a, of a revival, but a whole city of witch, witches and sorcerers and people involved in paganism were getting saved, were getting baptized, were getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. Incredible stuff was happening, great joy. And Philip, the man who seemed to be spearheading this revival, had an angel appear to him and say, all right, I know that you're in lush, green Samaria here, but go down to this little dirt trail south of Jerusalem that goes out into the desert. What? What are you talking about, Lord? Revival, beautiful country, go clear down about 50 miles south to the desert? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not sure this is an angel of the Lord. This might be an angel of darkness. Maybe the communication wires got crossed. But it's an incredible thing that the Lord saw the man Philip, the character of the man Philip, and said, this is the man for the job. And we're going to see why, and we're going to see what the job is. But something we see in, in the Lord taking Philip out of the revival to go to the desert trail on the way to Gaza is this. Whenever there's a revival, whenever there's a great movement of the Holy Spirit, a great movement of the Lord, it's not based upon any one man. Do you understand that? It's not based upon any one man. The Lord, when he's able to take a man out of a movement or out of a revival, and that revival is still able to continue, that is proof that the one who's responsible, the personality that that revival hinges upon, the foundation of that revival, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. He's the one that gets the glory. He's the one that gets the petitions. He's the one that gets the praise. It's all about him. And I was just so encouraged to study this and to say, you know what? I think that's what's happened here in Prineville. The Lord doing a radical movement in Prineville uh, and using Pastor Ryan and for seven years, an incredible work. And then just all of a sudden, the Lord says, Bloop, I'm taking you where you're fully supported and you have lots of friends and you could just live a long, happy life and get fat and sassy in Prineville. And I'm going to take you, I'm going to move you to Fort Collins where you don't know anybody. That's where I'm taking you. And then Rory comes in. And the Lord is still doing an incredible work here. And it's not based upon Ryan, and it never was. And it's not based upon me, and it doesn't rely upon me or my personality, and it never will. The work that God does here in this church, anything that is good comes from Jesus. And he's the one that gets the glory, and he's the one that we look to and rely upon and cry out to. Always remember that. You know, God could put away Moses. He didn't need Moses to take the children into the land. And, and Moses stayed over on the mountain overlooking the promised land and didn't get, God didn't need Moses. God doesn't need Rory. He, he has himself and that's enough. I'm so glad that he uses me as a privilege and an honor, but it all hinges upon him. So get out of the revival, Philip, and go down to the road going between Jerusalem and Gaza. This is desert. And so I love the first part of verse 27, and I underlined it. So he arose and went. There was no arguing. There was no reconsidering. He heard the command of the Lord, and that was enough for him. 
So he arose and went. The go from God was all he needed. And I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says, faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. It's a life of faith, not of intellect and reason, but a life of knowing who makes you go. Do you know the one who calls? Man, get to know the one who calls. It is an incredible life of adventure. And Philip set out on that life of adventure. He joined the ranks of Abraham, the man who believed. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Abraham was told by the Lord to get up and go to a land that he knew not. And what did he do? He got up and he went to the land that he knew not. And Lindsay and I, a year ago, were going through that very thing. The Lord, we felt saying, go to Wyoming, a land you know not. You've never been there. You don't know anybody there. And so we forked over some money and I took a plane and I spent a week in Casper, Wyoming. Didn't know a single person there. And we were willing. Lord, if you're calling us to go to Wyoming, a land that we know not, Philip did it. Abraham did it. We'll do it. And he said, you're not ready for it. I'm going to take you to a land that you kind of know. Just over the mountain. So apparently he's still growing in me. But you know, the Lord's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His plans are high above ours. So whenever you start, uh, let's get, you know, let's try to reason. I don't know. I'm really sensing. The, but I'm, hey, faith. Take big steps of faith uh, for the Lord. And so he just arose and went. You know what? The revival's been great, but God has something else for me. Let's go. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So he goes down to this, this trail, this road, and man, if we ever go to Israel together, we'll go down this road. And I remember the first time I went, uh, there's, there's the original Roman road, and it's carved out of the rock, and it weaves through uh, the desert. And the bus stops at the top of this hill and let all of us young bucks out. And we went, and they go, okay, pretend you're Philip and start running down this road. And so me and my buddies, we start running down like Philip, running down this Roman road. And we came to the very cistern, very body of water that we're going to read about where a baptism ends up taking place. It's an exciting place to be, but, but Philip, he himself is going down this road and there's a man, a man in a chariot. We know a few things about him. He was an Ethiopian, uh, Ethiopia being on that horn of Africa that sticks out on the south part of the Red Sea. Uh, he was a, a eunuch, uh, so he was made a eunuch. And often they would do this with, whenever there was a queen involved, they would make all of her servants eunuchs so that there was never any temptation for scandal with the queen. Uh, they, they would make these men eunuchs. And so this guy was a eunuch. He was the treasurer, had a lot of authority uh, for this queen, uh, Candace. And Candace actually means queen, the queen of Ethiopia. So he, had, he was you know, perhaps number two in the whole kingdom. But something else we see about this guy is that the Lord had put a hunger to know God in this man's heart. He's an Ethiopian. He's hundreds of miles away in Africa. And he takes a chariot up to Jerusalem to worship God. 
We know that he owned a, a chapter, he owned a portion of the scripture, which you had to be pretty wealthy to purchase the paper that the scroll would come on uh, if you were going to have a book of the Bible. And so we see a few things, a hungry, hungering after God, going to Jerusalem to worship, reading the scriptures. The Lord had impressed upon this man's heart that he needed to spend time uh, in the scriptures. And so there he was, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And so it says the spirit, verse 29, said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. You know, as we've been walking through the book of Acts, we've been seeing qualities about men that God uses. Qualities that men that God uses. A man that God uses is a man of prayer, we've noticed. A man that God uses is a man who loves the word. And another thing we see today is a man that God uses is a man that is sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He has open ears for when the Lord would speak and tell him to do something, even if it's a crazy thing. Go from revival in the lush land of Samaria down to Gaza. Or go and run after this royal servant's chariot. I mean, this is Robin Hood stuff. You know, if this were a movie, there would be tires screeching and gunshots bringing out. You know, maybe not. I don't know. But he goes running after the treasurer's chariot. You don't do that in Washington, D.C. today. You know, you, you don't do that. You get in trouble. And he goes running off after this chariot. You know, and, and I just I love these little statements. There's always the command with Philip, the command, go do this. And then there's his answer. So he went and did it. <laughs> I love that. I want to be like that. Go overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. He, he ran. He was excited about it. And as he's running alongside the chariot, who knows exactly what, what speed they were going, but he had to run a bit. Uh, as he was going, uh, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. What a good practice. This Ethiopian was reading the scriptures out loud. When was the last time you did that by yourself? Cricket, 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 cricket. You know, uh, I'll tell you, when do you even read out loud? You know, when there's other people around or when you're having trouble understanding a passage, read it out loud. I've been, I've started doing that, you know, the Lord's developing my study habits and, and all of that. And one of the things that I've started to do is I always, before I dig into the scripture, I read through it silently and then I read through it out loud. And I always get so much out of it uh, when I'm reading out loud. This guy's reading and, and Philip is able to hear the passage that he reads. And so he asked him a, an interesting question. Do you understand what you're reading? You're reading, but do you understand? It's, it's from the book of Isaiah. And he said, how can I? How can I understand what I'm reading unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and to sit with him. And so we see just this incredible encounter that the Holy Spirit has orchestrated for Philip to be someone that expounds the scripture to this Ethiopian eunuch. You know, we see the same thing happen in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, when there's a revival at the water gate. Nehemiah begins to, or I'm sorry, Ezra the scribe begins to read uh, from the book of the law, 
And as he would read, the people gathered around by the water gate and multitudes of the people gathered to hear the word being read as he stood up on a platform. And it says, as the word was read, people lifted up their hands and shouted, amen, amen. Lord, do that in us. You know, when when a passage just hits home in your heart, amen, amen. And then it says, as the day went on and the word kept being read, the Levites came along and they began going out into the crowd and giving the sense, it says, they gave the sense of the scripture. Have you ever been there where you're reading Isaiah and you're like, homeboy doesn't know what's going on, (laughs) you know? And so you start, homeboy? (laughs) So you've never said that. Okay, that's good. You know, uh, I I don't know what's going on in Isaiah. I don't know what's happening here. And someone comes along and they're able to just hit it home. They're able to hit it home for you. And I'll tell you what, the Lord wants it to be hit home for you. The Lord wants you to understand. And I love the end of Luke. We spent time in it as we were finishing Luke chapter 24, that The Lord opened up the disciples' minds, it says, that they might comprehend the scriptures. Remember for a season there, as we were finishing Luke, I really felt like the Lord was doing a revival in this church of opening up our understanding that we could comprehend the scriptures. That the laymen out there could read Leviticus and understand what's going on, or could read Amos and understand what's happening. I'll tell you, be where the word is taught, you guys. Be faithful to be consistent as the word is taught, as the word is expounded upon from from the pulpit. And just, you'll be amazed at how much you begin to grow. You know, we did a class a few, I don't know, was it a month ago now? uh, How to read the Bible for all it's worth. And we had about 10 people show up. Out of the maybe 190 people in this church, 10 people said, I want to be able to read my Bible for all it's worth. I'll tell you what, there's more than 10 people in this church that need to learn how to read their Bible for all it's worth. And so, you know, the Lord's put on my heart, we'll wait till it's a little colder and people aren't out, you know, swimming and kayaking and all that in the summer months. Uh, We'll come in here on on a day that we can just sit down and learn again. We'll do that course again. But I'm convinced that God wants you to understand the scripture. He wants you to be able to read it. You know what? He's revealed himself to us in languages that are from this earth. He wrote to the Hebrews who spoke Hebrew in Hebrew because he wanted the Hebrews to understand. And then he raised up incredible men of God who who hazarded their own life and were killed to bring the Bible into the English translation. They were killed. They were persecuted. And then even after they were killed, they were so hated that their bones were dug up, ground to powder and tossed into the river, the rivers in Europe. And so let me tell you this, you have a Bible in English because God loves you who speak English and he wants you who speak English to understand his revelation to man. And may he open up your mind that you could understand. It takes a little bit of energy. It takes a little bit of sitting down with the Phillips and inviting the Phillips into your chariot. Hey, come on, sit on down. Tell me how to understand this. Put your energy into it. It is so worth it. God has gone great lengths because he wants you to understand. 
And he wanted this man to understand in such a great way that he sent Philip down uh, away from a revival to have a one-on-one discipleship training program out in the desert. That's an incredible thing. You know, Philip's an incredible guy for being obedient to do that. But I'll tell you what, God's an incredible God for having Philip do it. Do you see how deep Jesus's love is for man that he would take Philip away from the revival for one dude on a chariot heading south to Africa? That's his love, that he would take a man from comfort to, to the desert I'll tell you one more thing that's incredible. Look at Jesus. Jesus went from comfort on his throne in glory. And he set aside the privileges of deity and became a man, became flesh. Because he loved us so much, he wanted us to know him and understand him and have relationship with him that we might be saved. Great love the Lord has for man. He goes to great lengths to save man. So get up in my chariot, you know, explain it to me. And so verse 32, so the place in the scripture, which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth in his humiliation. His justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. Anybody recognize where that passage is from? Isaiah chapter 53. You should have known Isaiah because that was already spoiled, told you. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53. A beautiful passage. And some of you already know what it's talking about. In verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? And that's the question, isn't it? The Ethiopian eunuch knew as he read that it was talking about some guy. The question was, who was the guy that it's talking about? Is it, is it about the author? Is it Isaiah? Or is it someone else? Great question. And so Philip, you might underline this, opened his mouth. Talked about that last week. The Lord wants us to open our mouth. There's a reason Philip's called in Acts chapter 21. He's called Philip the evangelist because he would open up his mouth. And what would he talk about when he would open up his mouth? What would he talk about? He began in this scripture, Isaiah 53, and he preached Jesus to him. You give Philip an opportunity to open up his mouth. He's going to be talking about Jesus. And I love that he began here. All right, yeah, Isaiah 53, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And man, as he's reading, no doubt he begins explaining to this eunuch the process of the trial before Pilate, before the Jews, as Jesus stood there and took it and took the false accusations and and took the charges and never said a word. And he frustrated Pilate because he never said a word. He was like a sheep going to the slaughter, not opening his mouth. He was pure. He was just. He had never sinned. And yet he had all these accusations that he was a sinner and that he was a blasphemer. But he was quiet the whole time. And he said, I'll tell you, Isaiah is not talking about himself. Isaiah is talking about Jesus. And you want to know where else? And man, the whole chapter of Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus. If you're ever looking for an Old Testament passage about Jesus, Isaiah 53, beautiful passage. But he began there and then he went to all the others. I'll tell you what, this might have been a long chariot ride. (laughs) 
Because there are so many passages in the old scripture that talk about Jesus. The whole of the scriptures talk about Jesus. And in Luke chapter 24, we read about Jesus on the road to Emmaus and he meets with two men and he begins to show to them from Moses all throughout the law and the prophets, all the things that spoke about Jesus. What an incredible Bible study that was. No doubt he spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch about his sin and his depravity about man's sin and man's depravity, that man is crooked on the inside, that we don't need better educational systems or a better government or lower taxes or more taxes. You know, we don't need big rallies or anything like that. We need someone to come inside our heart and we need to be fixed in our heart before anything will be fixed on the outside. The need for a savior is what Philip spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch. And you know what? The Ethiopian eunuch heard it as Philip preached Jesus to him. This is the second time in the book of Acts chapter 8, and you can look in verse 5. Philip was a guy that preached Christ. He preached Jesus. In verse 36, now when they went down the road, they came to some water. Remember, they're in desert. There's limited water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? What a question, huh? What a question. Okay, Philip, so you're talking about sin and depravity, my need for a savior to wash away my sins, my need for someone perfect and sinless to come so that my sin could be uh, imputed into his account and his righteousness could be imputed into my account and I can be totally without sin. And you're telling me the whole Old Testament says that man is Jesus. And then if I believe upon him, I can be saved. And no doubt Philip began to get into baptism and what was going on in Samaria as these pagans would believe in Jesus and be baptized. And as they're walking down the road, they see this sister or this body of water and the guy just says well hey you're talking about baptism you told me the whole story what do i need to do to be baptized that that seems like something i want to do what hinders me from being baptized and then philip said if you believe with all your heart you may what hinders me from being baptized what hinders you from being baptized Well, you need to believe. Believe in what? I believe in miracles, one of your favorite songs, you know? Or, I believe I can fly. All right, I'm ready. Dunk me. What what do we need to believe in? Who do we need to believe in? The Ethiopian eunuch answers that question in the second part of the verse. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. What a statement of faith, huh? I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. It's not believing in miracles. It's not believing that you can fly. It's not even believing that there's a God. And James chapter two tells us you believe there's one God. You do well, but even the demons believe and they tremble. They're going to be judged. It's more than just believing in a God. It's believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And it's believing that with all your heart in such a way 
that Jesus is not just your savior because everybody wants a savior. And, and the message that Jesus is your savior is something that, oh, free salvation, free eternal life. Great. And there are thousands of people that will say, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus is the savior. Boom. And they're gone. But believing with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God takes belief that yes, he's savior. And that is incredible belief, but also that he is Lord. And in Acts chapter two, Peter says that the Lord has made Jesus Christ both Lord and Christ, both curios in the Greek and Christos in the Greek. He's Lord. He's master. He's the son of God. He, he deserves and, and, and needs everything that we have. That's lordship. And so often we say, dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. How about this? Dear Jesus, I give you my life. You are my Lord. Not come on into my life and you can have kind of little parts that I don't really want. It's no, everything that I am is you. Jesus Christ has all of me. You are Lord and you're Christ. You are Messiah. You are Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's belief. You know, it's not just believing in a God. And that belief that this Ethiopian eunuch has, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to result in fruit growing up out of his life. He's going to fear God. As Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're going to hate evil. If you believe that Jesus Christ, with all your heart, is the Son of God, you're going to love your brother because 1 John tells us that if you say that Jesus Christ is God but you hate your brother, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. There has to be a love for your brothers, a love for the Word. It's It's just a natural fruit, a love for fellowshipping with the saints, a love for serving Jesus and being used. A love, you guys getting tired of seeing the fruit come up? Don't get tired of it. It's got to keep coming. A love to see this dark and lost world come to Jesus. A love that is so strong that you would leave the comforts of this world to go to the trail that goes out to the desert. That's fruit. That's the fruit of believing with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God. What the Ethiopian eunuch wasn't saying is, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe that Jesus existed. No, it means Jesus Christ has all of you. We were at the park for the barbecue last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And there was a man in the park who was talking with some people. And I started talking to him and and he volunteered the information that uh, he believes that all the faiths are true. And there's not one church that you should belong to. And there's not one uh, God. There's many different faiths and many different ways to heaven. The thing about this man is that he had a necklace on. And it was a large uh, engraving in wood that had two discs. One of the discs had a big cross and it said, Jesus is my Lord. And the other disc had a Christian fish. And so he's standing there in the park with these necklaces and he's telling me, Jesus is not the only way. Jesus is not God. He's a prophet. 
Jesus would have been offended if anyone would have called him God. And there are many different ways and they all lead to the throne. And I just said to him, what's up with your necklace? And he said, oh, you know, Jesus is a prophet. And I go, that's not what your necklace is saying. Your necklace is saying that Jesus is Yahweh, that Jesus is creator, that Jesus is the one who gets all the glory. As Isaiah says, I am the Lord, I am he, and I will not share my glory with another. That's what your necklace is saying. That's not what you believe. If I were you, I'd take that necklace off. That's what I told him. And he got livid. I thought he was going to make a scene at the barbecue. And nobody likes wrestling matches at BBQs, am I right? (laughs) He said, you are so offensive to me. It makes me want to take this off and throw it in your face. I said, man, I don't mean to offend you. But I'm just speaking the truth in love to you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you. And I just, I told him this, your theology is messed up. And he looked at the ground in shame. He goes, uh, and then he proceeded to show me all his different tattoos that show different faiths and they're all one. I was just like, man, he showed me his Bible that he had. I said, dude, Acts chapter four, verse 12 says that Jesus Christ is the only name given among men by which men must be saved. He goes, where is that? And he opens up, he has a little Gideon's Bible, opens it up to Acts, reads chapter four, verse 12, and it's not the verse that I quoted. Then I took it and I said, you have Acts chapter four ripped out of your Bible. He goes, yeah, I rip out whatever I don't like. And I go, man, you can't pick and choose. This is God breathed. And first Peter chapter uh, one, verse 20 says, there's no scripture. That's a private interpretation. You don't get to pick and choose. It's all inspired by God. It's all God breathed. The, the reason I share this with you is how many people are there in this church and in this community that say, Jesus Christ is Lord. I've got the necklace. I've got bigger necklaces about Jesus than most Jesus freaks do. But you are wrong in your theology of who Jesus is. He's not your Lord. He's just a God to you. One of many. He's just a path. He's just a prophet. Perhaps he's not even God. But let me tell you this and do not be deceived. If you want to be called a Christian, a little Christ, your heart will declare I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God. That means he's God. And if you know the scriptures, that also means he's Christ. He's savior. Don't be deceived. Jesus Christ is Lord and Christ, Lord and savior, Lord and Messiah. Anything else is not the Jesus of the Bible. And you're picking and choosing. And you might as well rip out the passage that you don't like right now. And you're wrong. Get into this book. Find out for yourself what it says. And I'll tell you this. As you have it expounded to you, you will come to the exact same conclusion that the Ethiopian eunuch did. He's the son of God. And the whole of the scriptures testify of that. So here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you may. And so verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. 
What is this water baptism? Real quick. It's a baptism of repentance, we're told. That that John came preaching this baptism of repentance. It's a baptism that tells us that you are united with Christ. It's an outward sign of an inward change that I've repented of my sin. That the old Rory, or insert your name, has gone down in death. It's, he's dead. He's died and he's buried in baptism. And he's alive again to new life in Christ. And as you come out of the water, it's also a testimony that you're going to resurrect to heaven one day. It's an outward symbol of an inward change. A New Testament baptism is a baptism of immersion. Going down completely. And it's not the biggest deal in the world. Some people can't totally get immersed because of health reasons or there's no water. You know, so we have a couple drops. Man, give me the couple drops. But man, if you have the access to all of the water... Man, the the picture of baptism is full immersion. That the old man in his sins and his passions and lusts and desires is dead. But the new man in Christ is alive in Christ to new life. A baptism of repentance. A baptism of a changed life. A baptism of turning from the old ways to follow hard after Jesus. A, A New Testament baptism... Is, is not an infant baptism. Okay? There's a few reasons I reject infant baptism. Number one, it's not in Scripture. That's the most important one. We do not see it in Scripture. Number two, every time we're taught about baptism, it always follows belief and repentance. And so if that individual is old enough and mentally aware enough that they believe with all their heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and as Peter says in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized. So there's belief and there's repentance from sins. Then they may be baptized. But if someone doesn't know that, don't baptize. That's not a biblical baptism. That's not a new Testament baptism. And so repentance, repentance, belief, old enough to know what you're doing. Immersion. Man, I love the story from the Gulf War of the chaplain who was preaching Christ to soldiers about to go into battle. And soldiers were getting saved and wanting to be baptized, but they're in the desert. There's no bodies of water to baptize people. So the chaplain took a coffin and watertight sealed it, filled it with water. And these soldiers were going down into the coffin And coming up out of the coffin, and I think, man, what a fitting picture of baptism. The old man dying and being buried, but the new man coming alive in Christ. What hinders you from being baptized? Have you been baptized? Baptism is not just an option for a Christian, but baptism is a step of obedience. There's two major things that Jesus commands us to do. Number one, the Lord's Supper. He's instituted that. He says, do this in remembrance of me. The church is pretty good about that for the most part. Then there's another one. Go into all the earth and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we tend as a church to neglect that one. But man, if you haven't been baptized, be obedient. Take that step of obedience for Jesus. And Jesus says, as he's going down into the water of baptism, he says, 
Thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. That brings up the question, do you have to be baptized to be saved? And we know from the context of scripture that that is an emphatic no. It is by grace through faith that we're saved, not of any works, lest we would boast before God. But what baptism is, is it's obedience to the Lord. And really in the old, in in I believe the early church age, baptism and being saved, they were just synonymous. It was commanded by the Lord to be baptized when you're, when you're saved. So why not do it? Why is it even a question? I encourage you today. If you've never been baptized in a New Testament way, maybe you were so young, maybe you were baptized as an infant and you had no clue what it meant. Man, there's water. We can get water. Today, I will go into the Ochico Creek with you and we will do this thing. There's water. What hinders you? Oh, I'm afraid that I'll get water up my nose, you know, or my extended family from New Jersey isn't here. Here is water. The Ethiopian eunuch's extended family from Ethiopia wasn't there. Here's water. I believe with all my heart, and I want to make a public confession to the whole world that the old Ethiopian eunuch, he's dead. Nailed to the cross with Jesus. There's a new Ethiopian eunuch alive today, and my whole life is Jesus. My whole life is Jesus. And so he went down and into the water. He went down there. There was immersion. That's what baptized means, immersion. And he was baptized. Verse 39, now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. Isn't that incredible? It caught Philip away. Guess what the word for caught away is in the Greek? Harpazo, which is the word rapture. Philip was getting a little bit of rapture practice going on. You know, he, he was raptured. He was caught away by force from outside of Jerusalem towards Gaza. Boom. And he was taken away. We read in verse 40 to Azotus, 20 miles away. There was a little bit of Star Trek stuff going on. He was beamed up over to Azotus. And when they came up, isn't that incredible? He came up out of the water and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. A couple things about this man's life post-baptism. Number one, he went on his way rejoicing. No longer, he didn't have to have someone there discipling him. He already had a love for the scriptures and he already was diligent to read them. He went on his way rejoicing. He was all by himself going back to a land that knew not Jesus and he was rejoicing. And you know what? I would venture to say he took Jesus back to Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He took Jesus back to Ethiopia. And as I was doing a little research yesterday on the most trusted name in internet news, Wikipedia, (laughs) I read that 67% of Ethiopia uh, are Christians. Isn't that incredible? In a land surrounded by Muslims, there's only 30% uh, Muslims in that nation. And they all attribute it back to the first century, an encounter of an Ethiopian eunuch with a deacon from Judea. Isn't that incredible? He went away rejoicing and Philip was found in Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Beautiful man, Philip, beautiful ministry that God entrusted him to. And Stuart, why don't you come on up? 
And I just want to challenge you today, church. I want to challenge you today, visitors. And we can just put our things aside and just move to prayer. But I challenge you. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is he just a man, just a prophet, a historical figure? Or is he Lord? Is he your master? Have you only surrendered those parts to him that really you don't want anyways? And you're keeping other parts for yourself? Or does Jesus Christ have all of you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? The most reliable piece of literature in all of history, flawless piece of literature, tells us he's God. And he's worthy of your adoration. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your talents and your skills and your family. And he's knocking on the door of your heart today saying, let me have all of you. You will never regret it. And if you sense Jesus knocking on the door of your heart today, he's brought you here today for a message such as this. Give him all of you right now where you're at. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information about Calvary Chapel or to contribute to this ministry, you can go to our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com, or you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.